And we're back. I'm James. This is the Good Fan Podcast. I'm Luke. I'm Mike. I'm Brett. And that's James. Hey, James. Did you watch the Grizz basketball game this weekend? Yes. They were kind of rough, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Which was better, the ladies on Thursday, the men on Thursday, or probably not either of the Saturday games? Probably the men on Thursday. The men on Thursday? You think so? You want to tell Luke and Britt what you asked me for earlier today? No. No, you don't want to talk about it? No. All right. Well, I'll ask them later because I want to get their opinion, all right? Okay. Love you, bud. See you, James. All right. So, guys, we're, we're back at it quickly, but I feel like we need to talk Riz basketball. Um, and joining us, uh, we've got two guests, so it should be a good episode. We've got Jordan Hansen from um, 406 uh, Empty Sports in the Missoulian, covers Grizz basketball um, for the Lee properties. And then Brian Morceau, our friend from uh, Tubs of the Club, the Idaho podcast, to kind of give a little bit of a Big Sky Conference perspective. Uh, Brent, Luke, what do you think? Well, it sounds like James is pretty upset. The Grizz haven't been very clutched on the stretch. He's something. I think that might be it. He's not yeah. used to the Grizz losing. You know, at the um, at the last podcast just last week, I remember being so damn confident that uh, the Grizz were just going to have a you know a couple like easy games, kind of get their sea uh, legs before moving into a little stiffer Big Sky. Con- Big Sky Conference competition, um, and it turned out to be like much harder for us than than I anticipated. Um, Brent, what do you think? Well, Luke, I, I think we're we're finding every time we believe in your confidence, it lets us down supremely. So, <clears throat> um, I was gonna say, yeah, go ahead, Brent. Yeah, for for anyone that follows me on Twitter, I, I worry about every sporting event all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um you should live you should live more in my world uh because then you're not as let down when you're let down but I, yeah and and mike i i don't know i, I think you you got to do you got to work work on the talent over there with james i mean if he needs a new contract or i don't know what's going on over there but uh well i think that this all stems from he's upset because he's got you know a basketball court in our living room and I thought I got it moved to the basement and it was there for a while, but it's come back upstairs and the ball popped tonight. And in, in oh, searching no. the internet for the ball, um, he found scoreboards and he's got scoreboards, but they don't go to a hundred. So he wants us to buy him a scoreboard. That's $225. that <laughs> goes to a hundred and he counted, you know, he's got money in savings, like 120 bucks. And I said, I don't think that's a really good use of your money. So it, it is a contract negotiation of sorts. We'll see what we'll see what we can do here. Um, and one last thing before we bring in our guests here, uh, Luke, I'm fairly certain that you convinced me that the uh, Grizz football spring season was going to happen, um, which is the second time I've publicly on the pod been convinced by you of something, only to have it, you know, completely not come true. So I, I, you'd think I'd learn. It's all, it's emblematic of our relationship starting back in the day. Just me convincing you like of horrible things that won't ever happen. You, you jumping along, getting on the bandwagon. I apologize, but I'm not sorry about being an optimist, Mike. I'm not going <laughs> to apologize. 
All right. Um, all right. Jordan, Brian, um, glad to have you guys. And thanks so much for, uh, uh, you know, making time to, to join the pod. Um, we definitely want to talk basketball. And so Jordan, I'm going to start with you. You um, kind of in your, in your gamer of the NAU game on Saturday, kind of went through the, the grizzly season in a nutshell. Um, kind of, what are your initial observations kind of maybe recapping that article or just where they are right now? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on guys. It's really, really appreciate it. This is, this is already, this is already pretty fun. So I'm excited about it, but um, I, I guess the, yeah, <laughs> uh, the biggest, the biggest thing for me is just these scoring droughts. I mean, I, I first kind of started noticing it in that Georgia game, which I thought was a game that the Grizz kind of could have won. You know, there's, there was a couple, there was a couple stretches there and, you know, you, you, you saw it in some other, some other places too. And it, it, it just, it's one of those things where, you know, the offense, you know, starts falling apart down the stretch on, on, on occasion. They get into these ruts where, you know, they're still running through their offense and they're, they're kind of getting good looks late in the shot clock. But, you know, some of them aren't going down. Some of those bunnies aren't going down. And, you know, and, and, and you know, like I was kind of saying, I mean, you're just going through really long half-court possessions and, you know, sometimes, you know, not pulling the trigger on a shot, you know, six seconds in. And, you know, you, you, you just – you have some – you just have some some issues with your offensive execution there, and um, I, I, I'm I'm not really sure what the what the answer for the Grizzlies is right now. I mean, I think that one thing that I kind of note is that you know really missing Kendall Mignot and you know his his deep three point shooting ability and and to kind of bail you bail you out on on some of those possessions and stuff. But but yeah, I, I, I guess I guess the biggest thing for me is a scoring drought and just some of the the offensive uh, deficiencies that 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 we've seen from this team so far this year. It's so bizarre because the team, you know, for a team can jump out to like, you know, 17-0 run and, and, and get these leads in every game and then just have these droughts. It's, it, it feels like it's not inexperienced at this point. Not to say that there's not, you know, they're not young and stuff, but it, it, it just seems like inexperience doesn't explain that sort of bizarre inconsistency. And, and and I think one, I think one of the other things too is it just um, you know we kind of maybe thought at the beginning of the season that you know Kyle Owens was going to kind of step up into that role of you know being a guy that you can look to as being a volume shooter, but then he had a couple bad nights shooting the ball, and he's he's not skittish. I, I wouldn't say that at all from from shooting the ball, but it, it just it seems like he hasn't um, you know really pressed to, to to find himself a shot. And I think that's kind of the entire team right now is that you know they they all don't want to you know do the wrong thing on offense and, and get pulled or whatever. Um, or, or, or let's exactly say lose minutes, but, you know, it, it just, it, it seems like there's just kind of a, you know, there's no, and I don't even want to say there's no alpha because I don't think that's necessarily entirely true, but it, it just it feels like sometimes that there's just not that, you know, clutch shot maker, a guy like Saeed or, you know, going back, you know, whomever that, you know, you can really look to, 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 to kind of get shots in those situations and those, you know, times when, again, like you need somebody to kind of bail you out a little bit. So. Brian, what do you think? Dude, I'm going in a different direction. I don't think it's the issue with the clutch shot maker, man. And the reason why is I did a, a deep dive over the last 12 years of Big Sky Bass. You can just talk about the last seven years. That's how long takira has been here. And there's two things that jump out about this team to me. First, this is an unbelievably good defensive team. And statistically, this is... I got to pull my notes because I was actually floored when I looked it up uh, in the big, in big sky games, Montana's getting up 62.5 points per game. That's second in the conference this year, Sac States at 58 and a half, slightly better. But since the cure has been at 
Montana, that that's the second best. This is the second best tef- defensive team in the Big Sky in that entire span. The only better defensive team in terms of of you know of points per game right now is this year's Sac State. Otherwise, all the other Montana teams we've seen that we know were strong defensively, they are they gave up more points per game than this team. So phase one, there isn't any really deep any defensive issue here. And if you look at points, if you just look at all the close games, what I'd say, their issue is these should be close games. If you have a defense playing as well, limiting opponents as much as this Montana team is, they shouldn't need a clutch basket at the end of the game to pull away. They should be winning these games by 10, which shifts to my other point, which is as good as this team has been defensively they're this is a dumpster fire on the offensive end. And it's not just a couple shots at the end of the game. I made the mistake of rewatching that second half of the NAU game. And I know like we try to be cautious on these shows to not like spit hot takes. Cause we know Travis DeCure is a great coach. He's hitting. He's I, I say no question. Best defensive coach, big sky. I don't even care who second is. I think he's that good of a defensive coach. And if he's not the best recruiter in the big sky, he's the second and that's it. There's no other comparison offensively. I don't know what he think what that Montana team is trying to do other than like they dribble a ton of the shot clock one. They take way too many tough shots in the first half. They were making some second half. It's not like NAU was just destroying them offensively. Montana took 19 shots. There's just what they're, they're just not scoring enough to give themselves any margin for error. It to me is the big problem. I was wondering, and I, I wonder if, if you're, your guys' analyses are not symbiotic. In fact, like I don't view them as conflicting, but almost um, causal in that <clears throat> could, could the UM's offense be so bad? Could their strategy of like, uh, you know, dribbling out so much clock be why statistically their uh, defense looks so good? Like, are they burning more clock? I would say, are they taking fewer shots, fewer possessions at any other time? Maybe that's the way to figure out whether or not that's true. Like, are they shortening the game by running out clock more so than any other team in, in Travis's tenure? And then that explains, like, well, they just can't get any good shots. They don't have an al- alpha. I know that's not what Jordy said, but, like, do they not have this playmaker so it takes longer to develop a good shot? And then – they freak out towards the last six seconds of the shot clock. Um, and then at the same time, does that just like create fewer scoring opportunities for both teams long-term? I don't know. Well, I was just going to kind of say, I, I kind of do agree with that. And I, I think that they've kind of robbed themselves of some of those possessions as well. And, you know, like, I, like, I think, I, I think the stat is that, you know, they're taking like 18.6 seconds um, per offensive possession, which I just looked on Ken Palm and that like ranks like 316th out of 347 teams. And um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's super slow, super, super slow. And, and again, I, I think, and I, I kind of asked Travis about three-point shooting a lot, but I, I think that's the other thing too, is that, you know, between the turnovers and the three-point shooting, kind of kind of going to what Brian was saying a little bit, is that, you know, they're just, they're, they're, that, that margin for error isn't there because they just, I mean, they're, they're not manufacturing themselves extra points or extra possessions in any other way other than, you know, they're really hot shooting at the free throw line. Yep. Um, Brian, I want to get your take on that, but real quick, Jordan, I mean, at some point that's a coaching decision, right? I mean, 
if Travis wanted them to not take 18 seconds per possession, I mean, he could do some things to speed that up. It's almost like they're afraid to take a shot. Well, and it's kind of interesting. Interesting you say that because I asked Brandon Whitney about that after um, the mm-hmm. after the, the the second NAU game, and and he was like, "Yeah, like we wanna like we wanna have some some shots earlier in the shot clock, but he's like, but at the end of the day, we we, we really just want to, to to take the best shot, and if that's the shot that's gonna you know be there at the end at the end of the shot clock, then that's the one that we want to take. So I I almost wonder if there's some disconnect there too, or if you know, and, and Travis especially early in the season was like talking. A lot about broken possessions and that you know the guys at the end of the shot clock weren't you know having the having the ball when, when when they needed it i can't remember i think it was the the southern utah games especially i mean there was probably like six or seven possessions down the stretches in each of those games where um where they just were not you know executing the offense the the, the way that they needed to i kind of read those quotes a little bit to be um whitney you know as a freshman didn't want to say anything that Cross the coach, but <laughs> Brian, your thoughts on on the last couple comments here, dude. There, there's so much that we got to unpack though, because I mean, like the three point shooting, like we as a as a group probably think Montana's not like a great three shooting team. Like they're not Eastern Washington, right? Like they, they shouldn't at least shoot at that volume. They're the best three point shooting team in the Big Sky in conference games right now. They're shooting forty percent from three in conference games. Like how much better are they supposed to shoot for us to say three point shooting is a problem? That's like that, that's why I circle back to man. Seriously, like they're a big problem for them is their offense is unbelievably predictable. Look, if Stedman's in there, they work it around a little bit, trying to get a post ISO. And if Stedman doesn't get it two feet away from the basket, it's just a bad possession. And second, if they can't, if they can't get it to him, you have a guy like Whitney trying to create with eight seconds left, but it's in an offense that's not, situated to try to get him open shots and montana has the ability to do that like every single time josh vasquez shoots three it's off a an aggressive action where he's running through multiple picks to get open montana has these things they can do they just don't do it that much like seriously in the second half of that nau game i counted like five possessions where it looked like they had aggressive action to try to create a shot otherwise their guards for the most part i the the guards who are not if you're not michael stedman or Kyle Owens trying to get in the post and Brandon Whitney dribbling the ball, you know, on the wing. I don't even know how on offense, the Montana guys break a sweat. Cause just, seriously guys, just watch. You don't have to be like a basketball genius. Just watch the whole floor for like five minutes. Don't watch the ball. Just notice how much movement takes place. And in the second half against NAU, this is why I say, I don't know what the Montana strategy was. Other than like five possessions, they were just trying to get post ISOs and the, the possessions the guards attacked, it was really just the guards creating on their own, which if you watch Eastern Washington or a team like Southern Utah, yeah, of course, they're more guard-centric, but it's not like they just roll the ball out and go, hey, Jacob Davison, go go score. There, there's actions created to get them to get those guys open looks. It's not a secret to Travis Secure. He's coached for a long time. That's just not what this team is doing, which is why I bring up the idea. I've I've listened to multiple shows where people talk about, yeah, like Montana has a system they're trying to instill. And on the defensive end, I buy that hundred percent. I, I don't know what, I mean, I, I know cause I've seen Montana play a ton and Montana runs similar stuff to Idaho, which unfortunately I've watched every Idaho game. So I can tell you like some of the actions that are similar, but if we say like, look, the issue with Montana is they don't have the system down. I don't know what system they're supposed to have down other than Stedman gets better possession in the block and that's it. 
So, hey, Brian, real quick, though, like we talk about the three-point shooting, though, because you like pull it up and <clears throat> Montana <clears throat> has taken the fourth fewest amount of three-point shots as well. So is that yeah. a little skewed or should they be chucking it up more? What I'd say is it's reflective, and this this is now positive of what you're, you'd probably say the cure strategy is and the players following it, is Montana doesn't take bad threes. So like Cam Parker, like it's correct, Cam Parker's not a great shooter, but he only shoots wide open threes. So Cam Parker is shooting a pretty solid percent on threes because he's taking good threes. Now my response would be, should this team shoot, you know, like Eastern Washington has shot 121 threes, you know, which is like 40-ish more than Montana and they played fewer games. So should Montana be doing that? I mean, probably not. I, I don't see a sharpshooter is going to make like nine threes on their team. But does this team have good enough guards? Or, I'm going to say definitely. Montana is – I didn't – I forgot to finish this point, man. Montana, their offense this year, 63.3 points per game. That is in a virtual tie right now with the worst offense in the big sky since the cure was the head coach Montana. So that's not just like the worst offense at Montana. That's the entire damn conference. Boy, that this is a team, stat. Holy cow. Yeah, dude, want me to make it even worse for you? I, I went no, back to 09. No. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? I'm going to. I'm going to. I went back to 09, uh, 2009, 2010. There are a total of five teams that at a per game level are worse offensively than Montana. That's since 09. That's, I mean, that's at least two, that's, you know, at least two coaches back, whatever, for, for Montana. You know, it's far enough that it barely matters in what we're talking about today, just context of, Montana's I think Montana the, the jury is they need to they need to be they need to play faster and I think if they play faster they're going to get their guards just better shots and I talked about this really in in the DMs that we have you know through the Big Sky podcast network I just think the jury has to be in now that Stedman and Owens aren't they can't be your number one option offensively they're, they're very good players I'd kill to have them on I know but if Montana is going to capitalize on a very good defense, on a decade-level great defensive effort, they, they just have to do something on the offensive end that's different. Because seriously, look at their box scores. They scored more against University of Arizona than Northern Arizona. I just watched Idaho shoot well over 50% against NAU. And guys, Idaho sucks. And you know who else sucks? Northern Arizona. But still, Montana scored less than Idaho. And you're ne no one's going to sell me on Montana not having talented guys. I'd kill for Brandon Whitney on my, on my team. I'd kill for Cam Parker. I'd kill for Josh Vasquez. Just about every guy you roll out. I, most Big Sky teams would love to have those guys. And if they're on other Big Sky teams, they'd be playing minutes. But right now, they're not producing close to as good as I think they are. The you know, the thing that stands out and Jordan, I don't know if you've ever gotten to interact with Brian before, but this is why we had him on. Cause I don't, I don't think anybody pays more attention to the conference. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I know you've got to cover, you've got to cover them and I don't want you to say anything, get you in any crosswire with any, you know, anybody on the staff or anything like that. But I commented to somebody today when we were just talking about the season that it, it almost seems like there's some bigger, message that Takir is trying to drive into the team that he's kind of said, I'll sacrifice the season to prove this bigger point, but I have no idea what it is. Like, what do you, what do you think that he is coaching them in their practices? Cause they must talk about offense. Yeah. You know, that's honestly, honestly a really good question. I almost wonder if they're just trying to, you know, kind of putting the season down as I won't necessarily say a scratch, but you know, just a, you know, with COVID and everything else, it's like, you know, what do we, what, like, you know, 
how are we really going to go you know, about this this year? Um, I feel like kind of Travis is almost having a little bit of a culture reset too. I mean, between Nassim and Timmy leaving and, you know, Hunter Clark just kind of disappearing off the team. I almost wonder if like, that's kind of a thing too, that, you know, they're just trying to, to rebuild, you know, some, some culture now that, you know, some of the, the, the longtime leaders and really the last five years, you know, it's kind of been in the continual, just like, okay, this, this time a sophomore to a junior is going to step up, you know, but there's still some seniors here. And like this with this year, without the the kind of veteran presence, I almost wonder if he's just running his guys and just being like, Hey, like who, like who actually wants to be here and who's like, you know, kind of step up and, you know, kind of take that, take that leadership role. And I, 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 I hate to boil things down to, to something like that, but uh, to, I, I, I do I do think there's a little bit of that um, going on. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think that's just kind of how Travis um, runs his program and, and what he wants to see from his guys. So uh, it might be might be something to take a look at for it. And I, I don't want to say for a second that Montana doesn't have leaders in their team. I, I, I think that's def- I think that's you know definitely something that you know they do have. I just I think that you know Travis is just kind of looking for his next big guy. If if that makes sense, I guess. Who who do you guys think is the player that needs or the set of players maybe that need more shots and need them earlier in the shot clock? Like where could UM generate uh, this offensive solution from? From where could they generate the offensive solution? Figure out a way to get out in transition <laughs> a little bit. Uh, I, and I, I think, I think that's one of the other big things too, that I kind of wanted to touch on as well is that, you know, with, with Jared Samuelson last year, they had such a great outlet passer and they've had better and they've had good outlet passers, you know, through the years and this year they don't have a good outlet passer. And I think that's the other thing, you know, coming down with some of those rebounds as well and actually turning those into to possessions where you can try to, you know, steal a two on one or a three on one or, you know, whatever, whatever you have going on. And I, I think, I think that's kind of, you know, another problem too, but I, and I think the other thing too, is that Jared and Kyle have not had some of those bunnies around the, around the basket go down. I mean, they both got a good touch around the basket, but Kyle, especially over the past, you know, couple of weeks. And I mean, he, he's definitely had some, some high percentage shooting games, but I, I think some of those little curls and stuff around the basket and, you know, some of those just rubbing off screens and stuff around um, and, and getting some open post looks like that, as opposed to an open post look with two seconds left and you're, you know, trying to rush it out or trying to kick it back out to Robbie or Josh or somebody to try to, you know, make a play with a long two or a, a three or something too. So, yeah. What do, you, what, do you, what do you think, Jordan, to the, to the, maybe criticism might be the word, but Brian kind of mentioned it, that the league knows what UM is trying to do and we just keep trying to do it. You mean as far as like fouls and stuff go, or I, I, I guess, I guess what exactly do you mean by that? I mean, uh, offensively, it, it seems like oh. the, the teams know how to play and it's kind of why I think that maybe the Big Sky teams have had better luck defending the Grizz than even the Pac-12 teams did, because it's like they know what they're going to do, and we just do it. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think there's something to that, too. And I think that, you know, with these Pac-12 teams as well, I think the biggest thing that probably the coaches, you know, hammer on is that is like these guys are going to play tough defense. They're going to make you work for every, you know, shot, every bit of movement that you're going to do. And, you know, they're going to they're going to hit you. They're going to you know, move around. They're going to try to do all sorts of things. And, and 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 I do think that there's some of that that little bit of a. a I don't exactly say staleness to the offense, but I, I do think you're right. I do think that people kind of do, you know, kind of understand want to know what you're 
can see what Montana's going to do and try to do it. And I think that this year, especially with, you know, them trying to go into the post a little bit more, something that, you know, they haven't done as, as much over the past couple of years too. I think, you know, Travis and, and, and those guys maybe thought that was going to be a little bit more wrinkle for big sky teams. And it, and it just has it because I feel like that's almost been, you know, something that they're more prepared to defend than, you know, having, you know, a, a, a couple more shooters or whatever, but, and, and, and I, I might be off on that assessment as well, but uh, that that's just kind of what I see on, from, from my perspective. Dude, I my big takeaway is again seriously, guys. Ruin a day. Go watch the second half of that NAU game again. I'm not gonna and do it. <laughs> what What is confusing to me is Montana does do ball screens for their guards at times, like you know, or like they're you know high screen and roll theoretically. Montana guards are never aggressive off the screen. And when I say never, I don't mean that hyperbole is in like, hey, most of the time, like, you know, sometimes they're, they go in, they drive in, sometimes they don't. I mean, the second half against NAU, I don't even know what the point of those screens were. Uh, Mon- Montana was was doing very little to help their guards, in my mind, get shots. I really think that Montana has to accept at some point that Michael Stedman and Kyle Owens, who again are solid players, they're, they're complementary pieces. They're not Jamara Coe you are not going to be able to center an offense around those two guys in the post. Now that doesn't mean you bail on the post. The leading scorer in the big sky right now is Tanner Groves. He is the center for Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington doesn't assault the post all the time. They spread the floor, which then happens to give them better post looks. So I guess what I'd say is I, one, like they do need to, they do need to get on transition more. And I don't think it's a matter of finding a way to get in transition they have three guys that they play a ton that are fine as point guards. Josh Vasquez played a ton of point guard position last year, and he's better at, at shooting guard, but he's a fine ball handler in the open court. Brandon Whitney, you're not going to tell me if he gets a few transition looks. Those are not going to be easier baskets for him. That's to me the what I, I don't understand with this team because there is absolutely talent that is to me superior than other teams. I mean, until the end of that game, Cameron Shelton is probably the best point guard in the big sky, at least the best scoring part point guard in the big sky. Brandon Whitney was out playing him until the last five minutes of that game. And yeah, I know Brandon Whitney's a freshman, but dang, he's good. Robbie Beasley's good. Uh, so it, I guess it, to me, it's not like this thing like, hey, how do we find ways to get in transition? They just have to decide that's what they want to do. Montana's not getting killed on the boards or anything. Now they're not as good rebounding as they are historically, and that does matter. But their, their rebounding margin is like minus two, which isn't good, but it's not like catastrophically bad. Again, like Idaho was minus 10 early in the year. That's catastrophically bad. Montana's just, look, I mean, it needs to be better. And you can maybe talk about that part being this is part of a young team that needs to be tougher. Yeah, the rebounding margin needs to be positive at least. But it's not, it's not like they're getting murdered on the boards. It's, it's really just close to dead even. I don't even know what to say to that, Brian. Uh, just anecdotally watching, it feels like every time the other team needs a clutch offensive rebound in the second half, they get it. So, I mean, it feels like on some ways there's some growing up to do, and maybe there's a piece that we don't have, but there's always like the a true big man has been the exception, not the norm in the Dakir era. And, um, you know, they've done. Are you sure about that, man? Martin Point. Arguably, it's one of the best stretches of UM basketball, you know, ever. If you don't, if if you don't factor in success in the NCAA tournament, but you know, 
Dakir's fastest to 50 wins in the big sky and all that. It's just fascinating that it just like coming into the season. I think a lot of people thought the team was maybe more talented than they've thus far shown that they are. And Jordan, what do you think about that? Uh, that that's a that's, that's a tough one. I just I, I think that it it, it kind of goes back to you know the the point about you know Stedman and Ken Cow being more complementary pieces as opposed to you know primary pieces, which I think is a really good point. And I, I think I think the talent's still there. I, I I think that there's still some stuff that they can unlock. And I think that you know maybe once you know they start getting a little bit more you know you know, comfortable, I guess, which, I mean, we're 13 games and you should be comfortable by now, but it, it, it was, you know, and I think the other thing too, that hasn't helped is that DJ um, has been injured with his concussions and hasn't, you know, kind of been that switchy sort of, you know, piece that he was last year, a guy that, you know, could, you know, shoot pretty well, but also could defend, but also had assists, but also had blocks, but just, you know, was a guy that moved around a lot. And, you know, he, he's still been moving around on defense. And I, I think that, you know, he, he's been strong in that area, but he's, he's not looking for a shot at all. He's not even trying to hunt for one. Um, really. I mean, like, I, I guess on, you know, Saturday, he did have a few points and he looked a little bit better on that end of the ball, but, you know, he, he also hasn't kind of, you know, been getting in there for the rebounds, which I think is part, partly a product of, of Stedman and Kyle, um, you know, both both starting to, 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 to get into that a little bit more as well as, as the season's gone along. But, um, yeah, I, 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 still, I, still, I still do think that – I still do think that, you know, potential is there and that this is not a team that you want to see, you know, in, in, in the Big Sky tournament at all. And I think that's a place where they, they can make a run because I feel like, you know, that's an, that's an area where, where Travis is very comfortable coaching in. But, um, yeah, I, 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 think, I think it's DJ a little bit. I think it's, you know, Josh Bannon having such an issue shooting the ball too. I don't think they expected that um, at all, actually. And, you know, Swiss Satterwhite leaving too. I mean, I, I just, I, I think there's just some, some weird stuff that they've had to like kind of adjust to, you know, this, this year. And that's been, um, you know, maybe dampering, you know, what they've, what they've been trying to do just because maybe they've had to just to, to, to switch around some things. And I guess I'm talking a little bit too much, but one, one, one last one too, though, is that, you know, they were in COVID protocol for a long time um, over the summer as well. And I'm almost wondering if there's like kind of a, you know, and an adjusted period, not, not only just with conditioning, but with, you know, some of the stuff that they're trying to put in as well. But Brent. So, and I mean, for both you guys, so we're trying to look forward here, but you look at this schedule now and it's a little hard to have a lot of hope when you look at two games at SAC or, you know, where we've got two at SAC and then Montana state before you have, Portland State, Weber State run because that's two of the three top teams in the conference right now currently. So, like, what what's kind of the ideal outcome? Splitting these or getting back? I mean, because if they come back from this like one and three, like, I don't I don't think looking at a buy is probably a, a tall order now. What I'm going to say again, I I'm just gonna my st- stance on this team. It's just not the the issue of like getting clutch points and clutch rebounds. It's that if you're defending this well, you shouldn't need clutch points and clutch rebounds. You should be up by by seven at that point. You should be up by eight at that point. But the good news for you guys is at this point, it doesn't matter who Montana plays. The game is the, the same. So if you look at the like scoring margin between like Southern Utah and hey, Southern Utah is good. They just split at Eastern. They have Southern Utah has two total losses. We I've continued to shit on them in football forever. 
but they're just good at basketball at this point. Like the, the rebuild's done. They're competing for the championship, but you can saw what you guys did against Southern Utah. Well, you did the exact same thing against Northern Colorado and yeah, second half against NAU pretty dang similar. So at this point, yeah, good news. All games should be close. Uh, the bad news, you guys play the same game every single time out almost. So it's really a roll of the dice. I am going to continue to be high on this team because I think there's a lot of good players. And again, you, if this Montana team is not historically bad offensively, if they're just okay offensively, they've got one loss in the big sky. So I, I think there's no – I'm with you as a Grizz fan. And, like, the Grizz are my number two team, so I, I feel okay. Call myself a Grizz fan here. I don't disagree with you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm with all Grizz fans who are frustrated because Travis DeCure is a very good coach. There's reason to expect a different result. But I, I'm not as low on this team as you guys because, again, in all these games you guys have lost, make – Make two jump shots and you guys have loss score at league average, not anything special whatsoever. You have one loss. So you're not going to sell me on Sac state being too good for Montana. I'm not yet going to buy Montana state being a good team until I see them beat some of the better teams in conference. So is that a game? Are those games look forward to and be like cautious about? Yeah. But you know, jump after that Portland state. You're not going to sell me on Portland state being a good team. They're averaging 67 points a game with the fastest pace in the conference. So I'm still holding that hope that Montana finishes top third of the conference because they're not as bad as their record is. Is there anything you think we can expect from these games going into Sac state? I know Sac two. I guess all of their conference wins are from against Idaho teams. Uh, they beat Idaho twice, so I, I bet you saw those games. Um, they've got that – Unfortunately. That double-double machine, Ethan Esposito. Is that how you say his last name? Es- yeah, Esposito. Esposito. Um, do you see him giving, like, UM and Stedman any troubles down low? I mean, look, Sac State is – if like their team is kind of weird in that they do have a couple guys, yeah, like Esposito is pretty solid, um, but they don't have any guys other really that jump out as like, oh yeah, that's a that's an all first team all league candidate. But they certainly look better than they did last year. Idaho State also, their record's deceiving. They have like four sub D one wins, so you have to truly if Idaho State only pay attention to their conference games. But is there a chance that, yes, that, that some of the guys in Sac State are trouble for Montana? Yeah, but Mo- Sac State also plays a very slow style, which is the Montana style. So I expect actually Montana to be relatively comfortable in that matchup because I'm not going to buy yet that the talent at Sac State is superior to that to what Montana has. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the, the two games last year against SAC were 50-52 and 79-72. And, um, you know, I, I, I could see the Grizz splitting or maybe even taking two. I mean, at some point they're going to have to sweep somebody if they actually want to finish in the top half of the conference. And then you have two games against the fight and Danny Sprinkle. So, I mean, like, you know, uh, you know, I, I you never know what's – you never know what's going to happen in the Cactus game too. So, I, I, I really think that these next four games – and, you know, kind of as you're saying, I think the, the matchup styles with Sac State will be interesting. And then, you know, Montana State gets to see if it's, you know, for real or not and, you know, go from there. So, I'm sure that's – I'm sure that's how they're looking at it too uh, – you know, get out of Missoula for a little bit, maybe shake off some of the 
you know, kind of weirdness of, of this little stretch. And so guys, what I'm hearing and Mike, I want you to pay attention to this is we're on the cusp of a four game win streak. But no, don't say that. Call it. Call it. We're not. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Come on, Mike. You know it. You just heard the arguments. Our talent is superior. Of course we're going to win. <laughs> um, so I feel like we've obviously, we've, we've kind of harped on what's went wrong. You know, and obviously their defense has gone right. But to a point Brian made and Jordan your your article kind of touched on it too. I mean, like the point differential in these games they've lost is minuscule. So, w- what's going right? Like, what are the if I'm looking at this team and I say, what are the positives to build around? What's going right? They're like a top 15 free throw shooting team in the country, and that's hard to do, <laughs> especially after the first thing, first couple of weeks. They defend three-point lines so well. They just knock guys off the three-point line all the time, and you know it, that, that that's just not it's just not been a thing that's been really open for opposing. And there's been there, there's been a few missed open shots by opponents from here and there, but um, you know they, you know I, I guess uh, can't, I lost my train of thought for a second. Uh, assists the they 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 they've been moving the ball around pretty well. Um, you know in certain instances but they're but the, the but the ball isn't sticky as travis likes to say i mean the guys are moving around say what we will about the offense what we've already said about the offense but the ball is at least moving around and if if you've got that if you've got the that your guys trusting another to to to, to not make some of those mistakes and you know to, to be able to do some of those things i think that's important i think cam parker needs to maybe tone down some of his Timmy falls esque uh, passes that he has going around sometimes. But um, those are, those are, those are little things. And I think that um, again, you know, we've talked, we've talked a lot, a lot about the defense and I think that, you know, that, that that's obviously, you know, a great, great thing for him. And, you know, just a few little things offensively, like we said, and it's a little bit different here. So I'd say, and I'm a good amount of Montana games. Like I watched the USC game. And every weekend I do make sure to, to watch a little bit of the Grizz. I actually love that the Grizz come on an hour before Idaho does because it gives me an excuse, it gives me an absolute excuse to watch a good amount of Montana game before I shift over to Idaho. And the, one thing that, that's cleared up is, you know, early in the season with how many young guys there were, it's pretty clear that the backcourt hierarchy was not, not understood. And that, that kind of makes sense in particular because of, you know, things that have gone on with coronavirus. If you're going to point to one thing, in my mind, that's reasonable to say that it is a, it's really been difficult because of going through protocols or any sort of delays that, that take place. It's integrating new players. And I think Brandon Whitney has no question asserted himself as the lead guard on this team. And, you know, he didn't start against USC. If you saw the USC game, you knew immediately that was a good player. But that guard hierarchy, I think, has is starting to work itself out a little bit. Robbie Beasley is another guy who I, I just have to believe his shooting touch is going to get better through conference because, I mean, shooting if you never miss free throws, typically those are also good catch-and-shoot players. So I'm fine with a guy like Robbie Beasley saying, like, yeah, you know what? He missed a ton of the out-of-conference games. And just getting integrated this is the worst year to be a freshman and start out college basketball. Like I've seen, I've seen a lot from Robbie Beasley that makes, if I'm a Grizz fan, I'm, I'm excited about what I've seen out of him. And I also like, this has been a frustration to me, but I, I, I just have to think Montana probably thought Michael Stedman was going to be like a more athletic production wise, a more athletic looking Jamara Co. And I, 
I just think we're approaching the point that we're going to, they have to turn away from that where he still, of course, gets looks and such. But I mean, we, we, the media thought vote him first team, all big sky. And maybe part of that was not his fault whatsoever. It's that the last big San Jose state transfers, Brandon Clark went to Gonzaga, then became a lottery pick. So we have another San Jose state post who transfers out. Who's a good athlete, solid player. We thought, okay, well, he's going to the big sky. Maybe his production will go up. I think we're starting to sort out exactly what to expect out of the post guys. Um, and then shifting back, like this is the thing I struggle to get over with this team. They're playing great. The, I think they're playing very good defense. Like if you watch that NAU second half, NAU scored because they shot a very high percentage. They made a ton of tough shots. Now Montana's got to score well enough that teams can hit shots and they still win. But even on half, Montana, you, you would say like you wish, you know, you, do, you, you don't want NAU to score 40 and a half, but they scored 40 and a half because they made a ton of contested shots. Some of those threes they hit, Travis Secure is probably fine with, okay, look, if they're contested threes, they're going to hit contested threes. We can't do much about that. So, I mean, yeah, if we're looking at what are the things to hang that, that make you feel promising about this team, this is why I'm not writing Montana out. They're, that defensive effort has persisted through look, – look at their Power 5 games. Even though they didn't score enough against Georgia, Power 5 Georgia scores 63 on them. 63 is what Montana's averaging in the big sky, which we know that's just not a great output. So I, I am confident that defensive efforts is going to stay there. It's just they have to find a way to get to league average offensively. But I believe they have the pieces easily for a league average offense. Well, and and I kind of wanted to bounce off that a little bit with the thought on uh, Brandon, the thought on Steady. Uh, first of all, Brandon Whitney is one of the best perimeter defenders that you know I've I've seen from the the Grizz and the. In a, in a while he's just he's just fun to watch he, he, he's bouncy he takes up a lot of space he you know doesn't gamble in the passing lanes um it, well it, for, for, for a freshman especially and I, I think I think he'll get even better as it goes on but just the, that that raw potential is just so obvious um this year that you know it, it, it's just it's just fun to watch and then on, on Stedman I, I think that he's still adjusting to losing 45 50 pounds I mean that's 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 a that, that's a that's a lot of weight he's you know he's he's, he's playing a little bit differently i'm sure the ball feels a little bit different coming out of his hands it's probably different on on defense because he doesn't have as much um body weight to to absorb some of that contact so maybe there's you know some some, some things along those lines as well and i i think i think as he gets a little bit more you know i i, I you know time you know and adjust a little bit more i i think i think there could be some good things but the one thing thing I liked Stedman uh you know it was only two three-point attempts but I love to see him try to extend his range because before the season he said you know I, I really do believe that I could be a 34 35 percent you know three-point shooter and I think that I can help these guys stretch the floor and I think that if teams start to think about that if he maybe you know tries to, to tries to get some of those when when he's a little bit out you know because he, he's already shown that he's more than willing to take an 18 19 footer if he can just extend that range out just a little bit more I, I think I think that's a I think that's as a way Montana could maybe steal some points. And um, I'd, I'd like to see Kyle kind of go back to, to shooting some of those three-pointers as well because I really like Kyle's um, sh uh, stroke from, from the perimeter. Well, it seems like if those guys go back to getting even a few three-pointers, it, it forces these big sky teams to change the way they defend. You know, because it just – it seems like they're not forcing these guys to make any decisions. They get to run the same defense or, you know, different defenses, but the same general concept of shut them down and they're not going to do anything differently. So that's kind of, that's an interesting uh, interesting thought. I hadn't thought about Stedman becoming a little bit more of a three. Well, and, and like I said, like before the season, he really wanted to. And, and I was very surprised that, you know, he, he, he had shied away, shied away from some of that. 
Brian, you look like you've got something you no, want to add. I mean, we, we can keep going on this, but like, the, to me, like just the jury's in. I, I've talked about Brandon Whitney a ton. He, he's averaging in big sky playing 9.7 points per game. Let's pretend he's on Eastern Washington. How many points a game do you think Brandon Whitney's scoring? Yeah, like, yeah, like as a freshman, like jury's in. And the reason why is just getting easier shots. Uh, I, I really think the – I really hope that, that Travis DeCure is game to kind of push the pace a little bit. What it actually reminds me of in a like a bizarro, a bizarro world version, remember that last year, 2017-18, I believe it was, or it might have been 2018-19, last year of Ahmad Rory, Michael Ogine, and Jamara Coe, where that team to me – they actually kind of came together offensively when Jamara Coe was no longer in the equation, even though he was a very good player, of course. Like, this is a, I can say this a thousand times about Chris guys. Yeah. Yes. Yep. It opened up the offense for guys like Ahmad Rory to have space for penetration. And for guys like Saeed Pridget, where suddenly when there's more space to work with, if you got Saeed on a 6 2 guard, yeah, go to the post. But if a four is guarding Saeed Pridget, then a four is not going to stick with him. The version of that with this team is just moving the moving the ball faster, doing a little bit more of the high post to get their guards easier shots because a, a, they're just taking way too many tough shots with five seconds left on the shot clock to me, where a lot of the actions aren't met. They're not aggressive actions. They're, they're actions to just kind of buy time. But again, seriously, just watch the movement that, that you see Montana side there. They are, they are moving as much as an Eastern Washington. They're not moving as much as a Southern Utah. Hell, they're not moving as much as an Idaho. And to me, that, that's it. That, that's the direction it's got to go. And, man, I, I could talk forever about how fun Brandon Whitney is right now with the level of tough shots he's taken to average right around 10 points a game. Like, that, that's incredible. I mean, like, are we just stubborn? Is that like, what, like, what is going on here? Like, why is this just not like open it up more than like, I mean, I'm asking you guys to get in the head of coach that probably doesn't talk much about it, but I just, I don't get it. Like keep talking about like the potential, like, Oh, they should do this or they could do that, but they just don't. Yeah. I actually want to throw that question back to you guys. Cause you guys have been in the, been in the Montana game for longer than I have. And like, when I see when, Montana has some times where they do run out of the high post. They do have sometimes, like we talked about with Josh Vasquez, where they're running, they're running plays that are aggressive offensively to get him a shot. I don't know why they don't do that more, but you guys have seen Travis DeCure teams more than I have. I mean, maybe Mike's the person to ask, because I, I know I listened to you guys talk with Coulter and this, this like system thing came up. Like, Mike, I'm pretty sure you think this is an issue being stubborn. Yeah, no, I do. I mean, I'll, I'll go. I'll go out. I, I think that. I think that Travis is probably the most stubborn coach in the league. But you can't argue that that's not done well for him. You know, build your team, stick to your system. This is going to work. And you know, over the seven years he's been here, nobody's done it better than him. So, I mean, who am I to question it? But it certainly seems like they're trying to do some round peg square hole things right now or square, you whatever um, that, you know, Oh God, I got a George Bush moment uh, <clears throat> that uh, it, it just, it, it, I don't know what other word you use for it than stubborn, because I have to think that, you know, 
if if casual fans, if if people who pay attention to Big Sky basketball, you know, reporters, coaches across the league are all kind of looking and being like, why don't they just push it a little bit more and they would be winning some of these games they're not winning? It's like, what is that if it's not stubbornness? Unless, like I said earlier, there's some bigger kind of like, you know, we got three sophomores and two freshmen and it's like some bigger, like, Hey, let's drive home a point. This is the way we're going to do things for the next, you know, three or four years. I, I don't know. Luke and Brent, what do you guys think? I, <laughs> like the, the Grizz cultist in me wants to say like, uh, it's not necessarily a, like a long-term, like th- three or four year plan but it's like a short intra season cycle of playing in a particular way. And you could always, you know, Travis could always like uh, unleash the pace if he wants to, but it's like, you may, you might have to learn, you might not learn all the skills that sets the discipline in that system. And, and so he's trying to teach the kids some discipline, some, the kids, the, you know, the adults, the players something and I don't know what that is like I'm not sure what lessons they're learning playing this style and understanding that you might not win as many games in the short term but there's like long-term benefits to be picked up on the backside and and truly unless you're going to get a buy then it doesn't matter really too much anyway like you're you're playing for the tournament and that's what the cultist in me wants to say like there's a method to this madness um but then like the the alarmist in me thinks it's that square peg round hole situation and uh the sooner the squad figures it out the the faster they can make some alterations and and start stacking wins in the in the win column you know, Mike, there's an old saying in Tennessee, well, maybe in Texas. <laughs> Tennessee or Texas. That, uh... <laughs> oh, you God. fooled me twice, you can't get fooled again. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I, this is – I'd have to go back and look at Travis's first year here, but this is, this is like his – absolutely the youngest team he's put on the court it has to be and i think i'm really starting to kind of fall into that belief where um it's something that like kind of look what what your alarmist side is falling into where it's like he just there's a system that we build and it relies on these pieces and this year these pieces are young and uh less experienced players that lack some of the leadership and the and and experience that we need and so we're just going to do what we can slow it down a bit to limit as much um, errors that can happen with younger players and uh, just build on it I don't know I'm starting to feel like this is just turning into a building season more than a and Brian, I see you smirking at me there. Just to bring up, you know, bring back up defense and things like that, which I get it, but I, I don't know. Yeah, it's I, I just don't know how to take this. Like it's it's a it's a new territory, I think, for Travis as a coach with this Grizz team. I don't think he's had a team like this before. So there, there's two transition points off that, and I guess I want to I'll try to make a football analogy here because uh, I I know a lot of listeners, you know, obviously football is the driver, but everyone here also watches a ton of football. 
when a basketball team holds on to the ball without really initiating much offense for 20 seconds of the shot clock, it's no different than when a football team is trying to protect a not very good quarterback by running on first and second down and the quarterback only passed on passing downs. But the downside is then that quarterback, you know, it's like Mark Sanchez and the Jets t- type of play where you're stuck passing when everyone knows you're going to pass. Mm-hmm. So a guy in trying to protect the guy, you actually put him in the most difficult situation to perform over and over and over again, which is to me, the frustration with the Grizz team, because again, they're good, but like, <sighs> these players just need easier shots. Like if you don't have elite shooters, you need guys to get easier shots. You don't get easy shots by running post up ISOs all the time after burning 20 seconds. And then suddenly Stedman, if he does have a basket, he either a tough shot or a tough pass he has to make. And sometimes he makes that tough pass and sometimes he makes that tough shot. But this, this is a basic basketball principle. No matter your system on defense, you just want the other team to take tough shots. Because if the, the more tough shots the team takes, the less likely they are to make those. And if the team makes those tough shots, you know what? That sucks. But over a season, you're going to win those games overwhelmingly if the teams are taking tough shots. That's what Montana's doing defensively. Offensively, they're setting themselves up to be the team that takes tough shots. Though I do buy, circling to the other point, you bought about a young team. Travis Dickier's first team in Montana, that was the Martin Breunig as a junior that season, Jordan Gregory. That wasn't a super young team. But two years later, the Montgomery year one, that was a pretty young team. They went 16 and 16, 11 and seven, the big sky overall. So, I mean, I buy that maybe, you know, coaches are always good at certain things. All coaches have strengths and weaknesses, just like players have, just like any profession we talk about. DeCure is a great recruiter. He's a great defensive coach. Maybe he is a guy who working with the young guys, you would not rate as, you know, like his best skill set. I'm not being at practices. I don't feel comfortable lobbing that accusation right now in, in the same way that I feel comfortable saying, like, I don't know what the hell they're doing offensively. <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, well, I mean, obviously the youth is, is definitely a big point, but I, I pulled up, I pulled up some, some of his quotes um, after, after the NAU game. And, and it, it was interesting because I, I asked him specifically about that, you know, transition ball. I was like, you know, you guys, you know, have not gotten out in transition that much this year. I mean, it's been a lot of half court offense. And I just, I thought this was kind of interesting. He's like, he's like, no, the priority is just to continue to play every game. You know, the one thing I don't want to have is a one dimensional basketball team. Those teams don't win. And, you know, we've got to be, we've got to learn to be efficient in every aspect of the game, because if you just focus on just being a transition team and you play against a team that doesn't crash in, you know, bring five guys back, you've got to, you got to find a way to play outside your character. And so we needed to, to, to be better in all aspects of the game. So I, and and I just, I, I thought, I thought that was kind of interesting coming from him because you know it, it, it's it's like there's still and, and he's brought up the the youth aspect he's brought up the young guy aspect a bunch this year and and that wasn't really something i mean obviously last year you know kind of was a, a you know a, a, a senior laden team for at least in some parts too but you know i, I just I, I think it's interesting what maybe travis's own perception of this of, of his team and what he you know believes that these guys you know can do or you know wants to uh, uh you know kind of kind of allow them to do it a couple of different arenas, but I, don't know. I just thought it was interesting. That quote almost implies he believes the team can already play transition ball if needed, right? Because they're not developing that part. Yeah, and 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 that and that to me also didn't make sense. That, that, that was one of the reasons. Just kind of felt like he was kind of talking around, you know, something he didn't really want to get into, too. So, yeah. 
Yeah, dude, I think it's safe to say that a ton of us, again, like, and I'm sure the tone of this tier listener sounds like relatively down or something like that. Like, again, like I'm high on a lot of the talent that you guys have. I I am fine Hold saying on, that. Brian, we're using the Montana standard of fandom, not the University of Idaho standard of fandom. So it's, it's like the Canadian U.S. conversion. Yeah. We're also chopping the audio to stop it when you said, again, I'm high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm in a border town. Could be. <laughs> I have no reservation saying like, hey, my, my take's in. It's, just, it's being stubborn. That's it. I'm fine. I'm fine with that as the pervasive take. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, Brian and I agree on that one. <laughs> Um, anything about the rest of the conference surprise you guys so far? I mean, obviously Eastern's being about what we expected. Maybe Southern Utah's a smidge better than we thought, but some people picked them too over the Grizz. So Southern Utah is always going to be a surprise to me. And I always have to convince myself that it, I really am watching reality because I'm so used to Southern Utah feeling like dog shit and everything that, accepting that their basketball team is just good is a little bit weird. Um, we're also a trend that I think is kind of interesting to watch is just, we have a handful of new coaches in the league and seeing how those coaches teams seem to be progressing Idaho. And if we want to talk Idaho basketball, we can, uh, but I, I can just put a button on it. We suck. Idaho state. They have a new coach. They have a second year coach, Ryan Looney. They look like they're making growth. Northern Arizona. They got a second year coach, Shane Burkar. I, I don't know if I call call it growth. They have one of the best players in the league. And other than that, they don't look that solid. Montana State, undefeated in Big Sky, looked like they looked like they could be okay or solid at the very least. You know, there's no way to look at them and not call them a top three-ish team at this point. So I guess maybe to me, maybe Montana State is a bit of a surprise. I know I I saw the and it, everyone saw the UNLV win, and that was a bit that was big for the Big Sky to at least get an out of conference win because this year's been awful for Big Sky and out of conference play, but. They lost a couple games after that, which I think made it easy to look at Montana State and say, like, yeah, they played well. They, they won a game. You play a lot of games in basketball. If you play well, you're going to win a game or two. But I, I think Montana State looks like, you know, Colt, I've heard Coulter talk about how forever. Montana State's just a 500 program. I, they look like they might have turned the corner to not, like, winning the league, but something a step above we've seen over the last few years, which is pretty wild considering a few years ago they had three pros on their team and still finished with a losing record in the big sky. I was just going to jump off that. I mean, Xavier Bishop's fun, man. He's a fun, he's a fun player. And um, I, I guess I was going to kind of say, I've been a little bit surprised about Idaho state too, but um, yeah, I, 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 I am a little bit still a little bit cautious to, to, to really buy in too much with uh, Montana state and Danny, but I, I do think that Sprinkle's a good coach. And I think that um, this year with him and Travis is going to be, it's going to be pretty fun in both those games. Um, and and the, the other thing with NAU too, is that is there's, there's some serious injuries there. Lance has talked a lot about that um, this year as well. And I think that's, you know, one of the, one of the things that's kind of, you know, been hampering them as well a little bit. And, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I don't think I'm too terribly surprised. I do think that I, I, I thought Montana would have two more wins, but they could also very easily have two more wins um, than they do now if things would have gone a little bit differently as well. But no, no real overarching hot big sky takes for me today, guys. I'm sorry. We'll allow it. 
really um, one of the big sky stories I'm interested in. And mercifully, I've got three Montana guys here. How are you guys handling this? I think it's a good thing that we don't have fans in the uh, arena. The flip side is I think they would have won both those home games they lost if they had fans, because I think that, you know, they would have the pressure down the, you know, the, the feed off. I, so who knows, but I don't know. I think there'd be a lot of frustrated, frust, frustrated Grizzly uh, basketball fans leaving Dahlberg. Like, I, I think that's an interesting point you make, though, because, like, it's such a weird year with COVID. It's like and, – and games are – what, what that Saturday game, what, it started at 10 or 11 or something? 11, we, yeah. had, we had – didn't we have a game that started at 9 a.m. earlier this year? I mean – Like, Monday, last week. Yeah, like a Monday morning game. Like, and so I think – I mean, I guess if it's going to be a weird off year or you're going to try to build for something, I mean, it's a hell of a damn good year to do it on because I think the amount of attention that – both men's and women's basketball is getting in general um, is pretty low con- comparatively. So, you know, maybe, maybe it is the year to be, you know, kind of down a little bit and working through some things. Well, it almost makes me wonder if the fans would stop showing up to Dahlberg too, you know, for, you know, at, at, at some point, I mean, I, I, I think Montana fans are a little bit, you know, hardier and a little bit you know forward looking than just you know just a, a couple weeks stretch in a, in a season but it, uh, it it was something that Kyle Hansen and I were actually talking about when we were at the game on Saturday too so we were just like you know would they have started to you know getting into some of that but I don't think we would have gotten there I mean I definitely would have been showing up unless uh, I got finally got mercifully kicked out by staff for being you know too vocal with the visitors bench I missed my seats you know right behind the uh, right behind the visitors, but, uh, you know, that's the one bad thing. It's like, I, I love, uh, love playing Eastern Washington at home because their coach, you know, he interacts with the, the fans and I enjoy it, but, oh man, now I'm depressed. <laughs> well, and the security detail we'd see, you know, if East, if there were fans for the Eastern Montana game that we will see in, in a little bit, what level of security detail are we going to have between, Kim Aiken Jr. and the cheerleaders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite moment last year. That was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. I was dying. Uh, it, was, it was great. Jordan, wasn't it you that had the video of it or something? Or uh, I think I had a video, but I think it was the Kyman reporter that I, I think it was the Kyman that actually got the good video of that. Um, Jack Marshall, maybe. But yeah. No, it was that was. I don't know what which I prefer giving Eastern fans more shit about. By the way, Eastern's a secondary team of mine too. I'd rotate between them and Montana based off the year. Do I like to make fun of the security detail thing between Kim Aiken Jr. and the like five foot one, 98 pound cheerleader, or the Cheney skyline pieced together on their black uniforms? Where that skyline, if listeners had seen it, it's an imitation of what the Dallas Mavericks do, except in Cheney. That's not a real skyline. They just picked a couple things and threw them together to make it look like a skyline. And a couple things they included are a dorm tower, I think a water tower, I think a smokestack too. It's something like that, but it's absolutely just chopped together, you know, four or five. They're not like actual attractions in Cheney. They're just buildings over 50 feet tall. <laughs> it's really a shame we don't have students this year to like 
to troll Eastern Washington, you know, about that incident. Like, they're just going to come and visit and, like, not get teased. And, like, that would have been a prime opportunity as a student. That that's the most fun when I when I was in Iowa and like when Wisconsin or Iowa State would come and there would be all sorts of just like back and forth in those games because we hated them and they hated us. It, it was great. There there there's there's nothing there's nothing better than like a rivalry game after like a, a contentious rivalry game the year before where something weird happened because it there's there's signs there's always great there's always great stuff and I I, I really think you're hitting on a good point there that it is it is a little sad that 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 we're not getting that year specifically just for that one moment. Soon enough. Um, before we sh- switch gears at all, anything else on the basketball uh, front that anybody wants to touch on or add into? Get Josh Vasquez more touches. <laughs> it seems seems reasonable. Um, so UM and MSU jointly opted out of the uh, spring football season but they're still going to maybe play two games or MSU said two or more games. Um, why do you think UM and MSU are the only ones to opt out, but everybody else is still in it? You know, it, it's interesting because both Bobby and uh, I think Jeff, he might, he might not have, but they were both like talking about indoor facilities and the fact that they didn't have them and it was going to be such a big hassle and, 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 and all that, all that kind of stuff, which I, which I thought, which I thought was interesting, especially Bobby maybe posturing for a, for an indoor, indoor practice facility at some point. But um, the, the, the other thing too, is I think just um, money wise and, just the fact that I think Montana and Montana State are both kind of forward-looking programs. They're thinking about contention in the in next fall as opposed to, to right now, you know, that they've kind of already written off, you know, this year, f- both financially and, you know, ev- everything else. And I think that they were just kind of ready just to, to be done with it. And the fact that, you know, basketball is, you know, kind of, gone on more or less about a hitch for the Grizz and they got their guaranteed games and stuff like that. So like, so like things are like working on that side and I was, you almost just wonder if they were trying to, to, to avoid some sort of, you know, issues with, with football, you know, have a couple ACL injuries or something like that and a quick turnaround season like that. And, you know, maybe, maybe Bobby thought that they were going to contend a little bit more, you know, next year and, you know, obviously losing Samari and, you know, just, 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 a, just a bunch of different things. And I, and I feel like lately too, Montana, Montana state, especially with COVID and all that stuff, they've kind of been step in step with each other to, 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 to kind of be on the same page as well. So. I think, I mean, it's also Montana, Montana State are the only two programs in the big sky that rely on full stadiums to pay the bills, where, although interestingly enough, most other programs rely on guarantee games, and they're not getting those this this spring either, so a little interesting. Um, but uh, also to point out, I believe both Portland State and Sac State have also opted out, so not just the two Montana. Mm-hmm. And then um, – uh, oh man, uh, yeah. The other interesting thing that I started noticing, uh, and, and you know, kind of here, there, and in between type chatter uh, from some people, especially once the announcements came out, that you saw in a lot of spots from social media, not direct from players, but people that would be you would consider connected to family or, or close acquaintances, kind of sound like the players didn't want to play the spring either. Uh, at least the general consensus from more comment was that. Sounds like most everybody just wanted to kick this and move this on to the fall of 21. 
I'm definitely going to be shitting on Montana on our show when we record. I think you guys are smart. The you Brent, you hit you hit on the financial part of you guys lose the the gate, which is not insignificant at all. Like you guys aren't NAU where there's this huge athletic fee for students, and plus Montana is enrollment one of the smaller schools in the big sky. So even if they invented that type of athletic fee, it'd have to be very high in a way that I guarantee is not palatable at this point. So yeah, I think it was the right call. You you guys had the huge competitive disadvantage too of look, Idaho, not only are we going to miss no, would we miss no practices? Our first three games are in domes anyway. We're not even going to play outside until March based off the current schedule. Montana and Montana state had the absolute worst setup for that. So not only it does the financial stuff make sense, you guys would have been in position to look competitively not as good or have a better higher risk of injury because people are, just can't get in game shape the way you can at Idaho, Idaho State, NAU, places like that. So I, honestly, I think the other schools are going to have to shut it down because look, I know the Idaho budget situation. Heck, we hired our basketball coach very likely because of the budget situation. I have no idea how we think we can afford, afford that. Eastern Washington – we all know, look, Eastern Washington can barely even pay for a basic stadium remodel where they're not adding seats. We all know how many people they had to lay off where their athletic director said like, yeah, we're so short staffed on the athletic on the, in the athletic department. We have high level administrators are involved in like stocking shelves at this point. So no, I, I don't think we're going to actually have that season. And I, I think Montana, Montana state, were probably smart getting out ahead of it in, you know, being one of those first teams to announce, you know, see, that's just, what's weird to me is I kind of figured when Montana, Montana state, you know, opted out, it would give some of these other schools cover to, to do it too. And I, I actually would have thought that someone would have done it by now, but it seems like they're still all in. So I don't, it's interesting to me, Jordan, did you talk to Kent at all about this or what's anything at the university kind of surprised you in any of this that maybe we haven't already read, I mean, like I was kind of saying, you know, it, it was, I, I actually, I asked him if it was about the financial part of it and, and he was like a little bit, but it was just more about the health and safety. Um, you know, they really just, you know, it, it was one of those things where they just did not think that they were going to have enough time to, to, to rebound for, for, for a fall season. And, 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 and that's what, and that's what Kent kind of told me. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think Frank hit on that a little bit, you know, kind of in his story as well that, you know, he, he, he wrote up that day of, but, um, yeah, I, I just I think they're worried about injuries and, um, you know, with with COVID and everything else going on, they didn't want to add on a spurt of, you know, injuries and in, in, in the fall and things you can avoid and, you know, just 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 competitiveness in, in, in the fall as well. And I mean, it's, it's interesting because like it felt like spring football, like back in like August was like, yeah, that's a that's a great idea. That's interesting. That's way different. And now, like once you got here, it's like, yeah, this this timing just 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 is going to work out. Remember we were talking about that though? We we're like, oh man, we go to a basketball game on Friday night, we go out, we get drunk, we get up, we get some more beers, and we'd be at the football game. Oh God, it's gonna be such a great spring. And now, you know, here we are. So optimistic on far too many levels, real really. <laughs> and in fairness, Brent was the one who was kind of like, This isn't gonna happen. And I was like, you know what? You're being a pansy, it's gonna happen. Um, so see, I'm kind of a I actually think that if there was like a dozen dollars to be profited, They'd be we playing. would be, we would have. Oh yeah. 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 If they could even break even. That's not to say that the administrators and the coaches um, feel that 
like health and safety of players isn't important. I, I believe that they truly care about health and safety. Um, but just imagining the financial state of, you know, at least even the University of Montana, you know, they've been bleeding students for almost a decade now. Um, if you could backfill $100,000 or something with a football season, I think we would do it. I think this is just clearly uh, a signal that it wasn't going to be profitable. So that that's kind of my sense. Yeah. I can't give you a direct quote. I can give you a paraphrase. I talked to Idaho's associate athletic director in the summer and his understanding was the scheduling of the spring season was a Hail Mary that the vaccine would be distri already distributed by the time the season had started. So the issue to I'm as my understanding is the issue realistically is for you guys is that you can't have fans in. Yeah. So Brian, do you think Idaho will end up playing or do you think Idaho and the spring season doesn't happen. We are really in this. I don't understand where, where we're at with Idaho right now. And I'm mo I don't actually say that about our athletic department very much since we hired a new AD. We said it all the time, like three years ago, but Idaho is all in based off all the, all their public communication. They have, Idaho was the first school to release their coronavirus protocols. When we thought we were going to have the fall season. Idaho has been open about they've actually handled it really well within the athletic department. Like we've had one positive case on our basketball team since August. And I think Idaho really thinks they're going to play. I have no idea how we're supposed to, to finance that because we're no different than all the other teams that aren't Montana, Montana state without those guarantee games. We our, our budget's awful. We're paying Paul Petrino almost half a million dollars. We all know. If we could have afforded to fire him, he would have been fired a long time ago. And we would have got to skip a certain family relation that absolutely annihilated two years of football for me, which is actually even what got me in Tubbs the club in the first place. But anyway, <laughs> I, if Idaho can't afford to do all that kind of stuff, we couldn't, we didn't even have a national coaching search for basketball. Like we claimed that the guy was just fantastic when the team was really no different than they'd been the year before. The whole point being like the, the finance, Idaho is in a financial kind of crisis. I don't know how playing football without the buy games gets you out of that, but Idaho is behaving publicly as though not only are we going to have this season, but like their hashtag for the season is all in. It's just like Eastern's another one. It's just like, I just can't imagine how you justify that. Like, I, I don't know. No, the, the communication out of Eastern, I mean, they're not saying they're going to drop down, but that's an actual discussion that is part of their budgetary concerns. Now I've, Based off the Eastern people I've talked to, I'm, I think the safest bet is nothing changes for them. But if that's the bedrock of your financial situation, then like the jury's in. Just pay your coach and don't lose any of the other money that you would lose in, in facilitating a football season. But I, I don't know if those teams are like, they have their fingers crossed, like, hey, maybe some miracle is going to come through and we're going to get this media attention that we wouldn't get otherwise. Now that Montana's gone, we're really going to get that media attention. I I, I don't buy it, man. I when when we record Tubbs at Club tomorrow, I'm gonna be all stoked about the upcoming upcoming season. I don't think it's gonna happen, and I think it's kind of lunacy that the smaller, lower profile, big sky schools have not pulled out yet. Interesting. Now the big sky didn't release an updated schedule today, did they? I don't think so. Because I thought that they were supposed I, to work on it today, but. 
Would you, so would you guys even follow a, a Big Sky season without the Grizz? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, yeah. I think I think I definitely would, but it would be weird because I'd start to get like FOMO that we're not playing and everybody else. It's just it's weird to even think about it. But the Grizz are gonna play a couple games, maybe. But who are they gonna play, Jordan? Like, who are the two? Who are the two games? Didn't they state that the, it'll be non D one teams? Yeah. Did they say that? I didn't see that, but let's let's get the let's get the digs in here. Let's... <laughs> I know. Time travel and play all those Carol teams that thought they would. Win the <laughs> <laughs> There was there was a legitimate time on Egris that people thought those Carroll teams could beat the Grizz, <laughs> which is I, like what a year! What a year to put <laughs> that challenge to the test. <laughs> like, fine, Carol, bring it, bring it out. <laughs> By the way, just while Jordan's looking looking this up, there was a Kaiman question that referenced watching Idaho basketball games on your episode last week. And what that reminded me of is if, if anyone is curious about understanding Idaho, just look at Montana and turn it into like, imagine an apocalyptic event took place in Missoula and that's where Idaho is. And the <laughs> reason I bring that up is like, we, like we have our equiv- equivalent to Egris, uh, which is all vandals, which is if you made Egris five posters who post all the time and only post about firing someone, that's what we have. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you got a long ways to go then. Um, Brent, did we do questions this week? I, I don't know if we did. Uh, you know, I don't think we received any. So I, I we didn't really, uh, we didn't, we put a tweet up and had some things. I mean, we've had a little bit of interaction while we're recording though. So I do have some uh, instant results from a poll that uh, we put on the Twitter account, but. I would figure we'd save that till we get to, to the closing here, uh, where we pulled our Twitter users about uh, if James should buy the scoreboard or not, or if you should assist. Oh. Who knows? Um, Jordan, Brian, anything to add? Any any other uh, things going on that we should be talking about, or, or Grizz fans should be paying attention to? Uh, not not at the top of my head. Uh, keep your eyes on the House Legislative session because that could end up impacting. Uh, Montana and, and stuff like that. But other than that, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what happens here in the next couple of weeks with scheduling. And yeah, it, 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 it does look like that um, there'll, there'll be a home against non D one. So we might, we might see a frontier team come into uh Walgreens or um, something on those lines. That would, that would definitely be interesting. Or not see them. Um, you, you referenced the legislature and, and it, we're not going to go into this too much, but um you obviously talked to the athletic department in the last day or so about HB 112, HB 113. Um, and there are two bills that have um, um, to do with, with transgender youth. And there's some concern that the NCAA has been on the record saying that if bills like that pass, that those states don't get to host NCAA sanctioned events that would include uh, playoff football games. Did you talk to Kent Haslam about that at all today? We talked. We talked a little bit. The, the other thing is too is if those state laws would would would, would go into effect, um, it, it would actually um, also I- impact uh, the college teams in the state. Interestingly enough, 
Um, the, the other thing too is, I mean, you, you can just look at uh, Idaho and Boise um, with with HP uh, 500 kind of going through. You can go back to uh, 2013 with the North Carolina um, stuff that happened, and and, and so I, I think there is a little bit of worry. And and a couple people on the um, that were that were testifying today, you know, kind of talked about you know some of the some of the economic impacts as well um, that, that that could or could not happen and stuff. So it, it, it's just it's just it's just definitely something to to, to, to keep an eye on. I mean, obviously, um, not a not a ton ton of um, you know, uh, postseason um, events happening in Montana, but um, it, it you know you, you look at NAI stuff and and, and uh, especially in Billings with the, the women's national championship and stuff. So just 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 something to keep an eye on too. So okay, well thanks for that quick update. I know that kind of veers off um, what we normally touch on in this pod, but I think it's something that people should be aware of because that is a concern that that Ken Haslam is in the paper talking about. So. Um, Luke, Brent, anything from you guys? No, I just wanted to thank our guests for giving up their time this evening and, and helping us out, put on a show. Uh, absolutely. Well, uh, so here's our instant results. So the Grizz fan pod tweeted out, um, should, uh, should this, uh, scoreboard purchase be completed and, uh, comments. So we've got, uh, we've got a heck no. From uh, Johnny Claxton. Weber State Weekly says buy it. Bear Tycoon says yes. Curtis Wallace says double digit scoreboards build character. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Day Day Martin says, uh, let's be honest, Mike will probably buy that little guy, whatever, within reason, uh, because you're a dad and uh, our kids always have us wrapped around their finger. So. <laughs> I think one, it's exciting that um, to encourage your son to score so many points that he needs three-digit scoreboards. <laughs> Two, it's good for his math abilities, mm. arithmetic, addition, subtraction, you know, things like that. And then we also you support this. You're a teacher, right? Like, come on. <laughs> and we also had this suggestion: just get him the old, you know, the old flip cards. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's not a bad idea. Those don't cost $225. <laughs> you get like 20 That might be a winner there. We'll see what happens. So I think I'm missing something. Like, I, I understand being a kid and being excited about a scoreboard or anything. What is he scoring? Everything. Every game you can think of. He's, he's replaying the entire 2019 March Madness in our living room right now down to, like, having the brackets filled out. Um, it, he's he's the smartest basketball fan I know. Oh, so he, like he's live scoring the games on his own. Yep. <laughs> this is real. We played uh, a basketball game in the living room this weekend, and it was what? Did, what was the final score? One ten to one nineteen final two overtime. One ten to one nineteen and two overtime. See, but the the. The scoreboard we have for him now, which is the second electric scoreboard this young man has had, has a timer built in and, you know, it keeps track of things. I mean, it, it, it's not like he's going without here. <laughs> My unsolicited vote is, hell yeah, dude, get the scoreboard. <laughs> we, we never know. Hey, let's pretend there's an economic reason. Like, we never actually know what people are going to get, like, as their job when they're older. So, like, from my teacher angle, if you can afford it, dude, just lean into stuff. 
he, he gets into analyzing things that that generalizes to a thousand places. Get the damn scoreboard if you can afford it, which I'm sure you can. Yeah, you know how like in movies, early in a movie, there's like a character like <clears throat> walks by a storefront and sees like a pair of football cleats or something. And then like it, like 10 years later, you know, like he goes and like is catching touchdowns and stuff. Like there's these things early in your life and they always foreshadow stuff. And you just really hope that like that event in your life isn't something horrible. Right? <laughs> like, but this could be that moment, Mike. This could be the moment where it's like, he'll look back and be like, yeah, my dad power moved and got me the triple digit digital scoreboard. And it turns out he's like, you know, the next basketball data analytics guy. So he has ended up back down here for this conversation. And he was <laughs> not down here for the entire podcast. So he could who knows? It. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, Jordan, Brian, thanks both so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, um, guys. Luke, Brent, uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for another hangout. Maybe we'll do it in person again sometime. Do it. Oh, Cross your fingers. No, thanks again for having me on, guys. I, I truly appreciate it. Hey, uh, Jordan and Brian, where can, where, uh, I, I, I know I'm sure most of our listeners probably follow you guys as well, but where can they find you on Twitter and, and whatnot? You can find me at Brian Marceau. That's M-A-R-C-E-A-U. I do a lot of vandal tweeting, which if you guys want to be a hate audience, I'm game for the hate audience. But I don't. I actually talk about Grizz a decent amount. Like I, I brought this up on the show. I found Grizz, Grizz Fan Pod as a just a listener before I was on Tubbs the Club. I got on Tubbs the Club by listening, listening, and then sending this barrage of direct messages when I was just devastated living through the Mason Petrino era. And there was no one else who understood the pain of watching that dude chuck it five yards at a time. But actually the last, this, this made me just go wild when, and I know like we were trying to close the show, but like, Hey, you got, you guys can live through this. Cause you saw a little bit of it. Mason Petrino against you guys. Bobby Howe made a comment about him after the last Idaho game. I'm hoping that was a troll. You guys saw his longest completed pass of the season at that point of like 30 yards. You might have seen the Montana game and thought like, oh, dude, he's been fine. I had no idea where that 30-yard pass came from. I was astounded to see that footballs could travel that far when I saw it happen. Anyway, that's how I got into – that's how I found you guys. I, you guys are guests on Tubbs the Club, and I, my response was like, hey, I, I actually am a Grizz fan, even though Vandal's first. So I started listening to you guys, and uh, yeah, dude, it's great to find – it's great to be on. <laughs> So what was that Twitter handle again? <laughs> At Brian Marceau, M-A-R-C-E-A-U. All right. Jordan, what about you? Uh, you can come yell at me on Twitter at Jordy Hansen. So we we, 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 we truly do love being uh, yelled at online. So that's that's what I – that's what gets me. That's what gets me going. Uh, just be happy they turned off the Facebook comments. No, they didn't. They turned off the comments on their uh, articles a long time ago, but they still have the Facebook comments. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look, we, I will always be game to be back on. This came out in our last Tubs of Club episode. Our public awareness campaign is, it get wor- is that it gets worse. <laughs> so if you guys need anyone to walk you through that, that's what we're doing at Tubs of the Club right now. We, are, we would love to extend that public awareness into the treasure state. So anytime you guys, anytime you're struggling, believe me, it gets worse. We can talk about it. <laughs> so Grizz fans, we had Vandal fan Brian Morso on. 
to remind you all that even if things aren't going our way, it's always a better day to be a Grizz fan. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys. Brent, Luke, if I uh, don't see you before the next episode, hey, we'll catch up then. If not, maybe I'll talk to you before. I don't know what's going on anymore. Figure it out. (laughs) Whatever. Go, Grizz. Right on. No.